Our uh, scripture this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. May we hear the word of God together. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Would you bow with me in prayer? God, we are grateful for your word. Now we ask for the wisdom, Holy Spirit, to understand it. Amen. So uh, there was a patriarch of a family who was suffering great hearing loss. He got to the point where he couldn't really hear anything. And his doctor called and said, look, we've had some new developments in hearing aid technology. I want to come and fit you for one of these new ones and see if it helps. So he goes, he gets a new hearing aid, realizes he can hear 100%. He can hear everything. So after a couple months, he comes back for a follow-up with the doctor. The doctor says, how's the hearing aid going? Oh, it's fantastic, doc. I can hear everything. He said, well, your family must be thrilled to know you can hear perfectly well now. He says, oh, I haven't told them I can hear. I just sit back and listen to all their conversations. I've changed my will three times. (laughs) You know, being part of a family is something we all understand. And for many of us, family, particularly our family, is a source of joy. It's a source of life. It's a source of excitement and even pride in a good way. But that's not always the case. Sometimes, sadly, our family can be a source of pain, a source of struggle, maybe even a source of shame. But either way, family is always family. No matter what you go through, family is your family. And in the Bible, we see that the call of God, the call to faith in Christ, it comes to us as individuals, and we have the responsibility to respond individually. However, that call, while it comes to us as individuals, is always a call into community. It's always a call to participate in the life of faith with other people. From Abraham all the way to Revelation, the call to be a person of God is to be a call into being part of the people of God. And one of the strongest analogies and the most consistent metaphors we have for living our life of faith as the people of God is that of a family. And the passage we just read is just one of many that describes living the life of faith out as being part of the family of God. So we're only a couple weeks out from Thanksgiving, and this is one of the holidays where families will gather. People will travel to you, or you will travel to people, and you'll have those traditional meals, whether you're a turkey and dressing kind of person, 
or whether you're a steak and pork chop or a gumbo person, whatever your tradition is, it's made that much more special, not just because of the food, but because of the people around the table. So that because this is this season, this is a season where we're thinking of family, I thought it very appropriate for us to look at what it means for us to be part of the family of God. So listen, if you're a note taker, let me encourage you to take a few because I've got a few references I'm going to put on the screen. I'm going to give you, I'm not going to read them all word for word. Or if you haven't caught on yet, when some things go up on the screen, that's a good slide. Get your phone out, get your camera, take a picture. That way you'll have it. But here's what I see from the scriptures about what it means for us to live as part of the family of God. First and most important, it is God's family. We have to remember this. Okay, I don't know about you, but growing up, my household was not a democracy. The kids didn't get a vote. The parents ran the show. I heard recently some kids were asking, well, I'm going to do all these chores. I should get an allowance. And the parents said, yeah, I'm going to give you the same allowance that my parents gave me. I'm going to allow you to stay here and eat my food and sleep in my bed and do all that for free. That's what I'm going to allow you to do. Parents run the show in the family. And in God's family, it has to be exactly the same. So when we think about the family of God, the first thing we have to understand, it's not my way. It's not your way. It's God's way. Even in the gospels, we have Jesus who is fully God giving us the example of deferring to the will of God, of laying aside his will and his desires for the will of the father. And I can't think of a better example of that than in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's about to be arrested, betrayed, tortured, and executed. Here's how he prays. My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. So being part of the family of God and remembering that it's God's family, really has two types of implications. First, as an individual, my job as a Christian is to get up each morning, lay aside my hopes, lay aside my aspirations, lay aside my desires, all in favor of those of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. Remember, Jesus told these crowds of people, if you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, you have to take up your cross. Well, for us, that's a very neat and tidy sounding thing. Look, we have a cross right there. We have crosses on our necklaces. We have crosses on our rings, on our t-shirts. We look at the cross through a backwards lens. We look at the cross through the lens of resurrection. So for us, the cross is a source of hope and joy. Put yourself in the shoes of a first century Jew under Roman occupation. And your hopeful Messiah has just said, if you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross. What that means is when a person was going to be crucified, which was the most extreme and 
horrific and feared way to die in the world. They had to pick up their crossbeam for it and carry it up the hill where they were going to go and die a slow, painful, torturous, public and humiliating death. So when Jesus says to this crowd of people, pick up your cross and follow me, their stomachs would have knotted up and a chill would have went up their spines. What Jesus is saying is being a Christian, being a real person of faith, is about putting to death everything that you want and rising to life for everything that God wants. Now, those of us who have been practicing our faith faithfully and truly, we know the next thing, though. And it's what Jesus said. If you seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, all this other stuff will be given to you. So the goal of the Christian life, being part of the family of God, realizing that God is the boss, starts with me as an individual, making a conscious decision each and every day to live for God's desires for my life. To put aside what I might want and pick up that which Christ has called me to. But here's the second thing it means. Because I said being part of the family of God is not just individual, it's about living our life together. As a church, we have to remember that God is the boss, not us. You want to know a secret? Trinity UMC isn't my church. It isn't the denomination's church. It isn't the bishop's church. Guess what? It's not even your church. You know whose church this is? It's the church of Jesus Christ. Which means our goal is not to bring our preferences our desires, our wants to life here. That's not why we exist. We exist to glorify God, to love God and love our neighbor, and to accomplish the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. I heard it said in one of my seminary classes, it's not that God has a mission for the church, it's that God has a church for the mission. And the order is supremely important there. Friends, being a part of a church, being a part of Trinity is not about making Trinity look how you or I want it to look. It's about making it accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ, of being a light in our community and beyond, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, preaching the gospel, bringing reconciliation with God and with neighbor. Being a part of the family of God means God's the boss and we are not. So self-reflection time. I'd like to ask you to really ask yourself, to prayerfully ask God, how are you doing as an individual? How are you doing at daily laying aside what you want and taking up your cross? Secondly, how are you doing as a church? How are we doing at putting aside preference and opinion and taking up the mission of Jesus Christ. Being a part of the family of God, first and foremost, means it's God's family, and we're just a part of it. Second thing it means, and it has to mean this or else it isn't the family of God, everyone is welcome and equal. 
Listen to how Paul puts it in Galatians where he talks about the family of God also. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. So at the time this epistle was written, epistles just a, a fancy word for letter to a church. At the time it was written, there were a lot of dividing lines in the world. Lines were drawn and categories were made along race and nationality, along social class and status, along gender, and so many other ways. And to be honest, not a lot has changed, has it? In the world today, everything has a category. Everything has a line. Everything has a division, be it political, social, or any other way things are divided. And there's a sociological phenomenon that is really rampant in our culture, and that's of tribalism. Tribalism says there's us and there's them. And boy, do people tribe up. But here's the thing about the church. The church is called not only to not mimic the culture around it, the church is called to stand in opposition to harmful cultures. Friends, these doors have to be open to everyone. And if there's anyone who is not welcome here, then none of us should be. And let me say this. There were a lot of isms in Paul's day when he was writing. Racism, classism, sexism, etc., etc. Friends, if you claim to follow Jesus Christ, there is no room for any ism in your heart. None. Because we are one church. There is one faith. There's one Lord. There's one baptism. There's one God and Father of us all. Everyone has to be welcome. But once everyone's in, we also have to remember that everyone's equal. So in families, there's, there's a hierarchy. There is. There's a strata. My first child, Braden, was born when I was almost 26 years old. And it wasn't until then that on Thanksgiving did I graduate from the kids' table to the adult table. 26. And the adult table was everything I thought it would be. <laughs> but, you know, we, we say everyone's welcome, and we probably mean it. But then we tend to rank ourselves or rank other people. In the church of Jesus Christ, in the family of God, there's no special section for those who have been practicing their faith longer. There's no preferential treatment for those who give more money. And there's no sections with labels of what sins we may or may not struggle with. There are simply God the Father and then us, God's children.
in the family of God, everyone is welcome and everyone is equal. And the church has to just stop drawing lines and putting people in categories. The church must stop adopting the us versus them mentality. Everyone's a welcome and everyone's equal. Third thing I see it means to be part of the family of God. We all have a job to do. We all have a job to do in the family. In a healthy family dynamic, every member of the family has a role to play. Everyone should contribute. And it's not just because the family needs it, but it's also because everyone gets to contribute. Everyone gets to participate. There's great joy and great depth found in contributing to something bigger than yourself. And on the flip side, when someone in the family doesn't uphold their end of the bargain, when they don't pull their weight, the rest of the family ends up having to take up the slack. So here's, here's what I've noticed. I'm 42. And when I get up in the morning, sometimes my knee takes a minute. When I get up off the couch, sometimes my ankle's a little weak. And, and look, those of you who are beyond 42, you're saying, yeah, just wait, it gets better. But here's what I know about the body too. If one part of your body isn't working properly, the other parts have to compensate. And you can actually overwork the other parts of your body and cause more damage. So listen to what Paul writes about the body, the church. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. This is a family. This is a body and you are a part of it. And can I tell you that in churches, the, the 2080 rule really is a real thing. The 2080 rule being it's about 20% of the church that does 80% of the work of the church. God has created you intentionally and equipped you uniquely. You have something to offer your church. You have something to bring to the table in the family of God. And when you don't, the rest of the body suffers. When you don't pull your weight, when you don't do your job that God has called you to do, you're putting strain on the rest of the body and it weakens and it fatigues and sometimes it breaks. You have a job to do in the family of God. You are called. You are equipped by God. And let me tell you, when you start living into who you are through the church, you will find peace and joy and fulfillment like you have not found. So if you're listening and you're already doing five things and you're like, okay, I need to do one more, don't. As your pastor, 
No, you don't need to do any more. It's time for the other parts of the body to step up. And if you haven't been, don't be ashamed. Just come talk to us and say, look, Chris, I hear you. Sign me up. We'll get you plugged in. Go see Marie. Go see Becky. Call Melanie in the office. We will get you plugged in. I guarantee it. The church of Jesus Christ is the greatest thing the world has ever seen. And God has called you to be a part of it. You've got a job to do. All right. Finally, fourth and final point. Every parent understands this. As members of a family, we will disagree sometimes. We just will. Siblings fight, whether it's over toys, their parents' attention, the last piece of pie, or whether they're in their mid-40s and aren't allowed to play board games with their sister anymore at family gatherings. Siblings fight. And sometimes in the church we disagree. Sometimes in the church we fight. But see, time and time again, throughout the Bible, especially the New Testament, the church is pleading for unity. The writers to the church beg the early church, find unity, find harmony. Look at, look at just a few of these references. Here's six of them for you. Just to see. Go, go ahead and put that slide up there. That's just six out of so many more. Now, don't misunderstand me. Unity does not mean uniformity. Here's what I mean by that. We don't have to think exactly the same. We don't have to act exactly the same. We just have to agree on the big picture things and go forward from there. Unity does not mean uniformity. In fact, if we looked, talked, and acted all the same, we would not accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Take the Gospels, for example. Four different Gospels written from four very different perspectives, accomplishing four very different things in order to make Jesus Christ known. And if the early church needed to hear about unity so much, I think it's important for us today to look at what it means to disagree, to fight, and still maintain unity. So there's four ways we can do this. First way, you can maintain unity through disagreement. First way, keep Christ at the center. Don't start where you disagree. We're going to disagree on things. It's going to happen. And that's okay. As a matter of fact, sometimes conflict can lead a relationship to a better place. It can make it stronger. It can accomplish great good. So when we have disagreements, keep Christ at the center. Remember Jesus Christ is Lord. Remember we are all part of the body. Remember we are called to mission and ministry together. Work your way down from there. Keep Christ at the center and at the head. And if you do that, that will minimize a lot of the negative aspects of the conflict. But secondly, remember that love, not being right, is the goal of the Christian life. Love, not being right, is the goal. 
When I do premarital counseling with young couples about to enter into marriage, I always tell them, if one of you wins an argument when you're married, you've both lost. Because you're on the same team. Your goal should be the same. And if you create an adversarial relationship, if you create winners and losers, you've lost. I mentioned the tribalism. I mentioned the us versus them. The church as a whole, not just Trinity, not just the United Methodist Church, the church as a whole has adopted too much of the us versus them, too much of the right and wrong, too much of the winners and the losers. Listen, there was a group of people in the New Testament who became so entrenched in being right, even in being right in light of the scriptures that they forgot to love other people. And that group were called the Pharisees. It's possible to follow the letter of what the Bible says and be completely wrong in doing so. The goal is not being right. The goal is love. That's the thing we have to remember. Keep Christ at the center. Remember, the goal is not being right. The goal is love. Third, be willing to listen. Social media debates. It's not about anyone listening to each other. It's about looking for holes in someone's argument to make a point. And that's not just social media. That's so many discussions. My friends, if we stop talking at each other and start listening to one another, we'd make a whole lot of progress. James tells us very plainly, you really ought to be slow to start running your mouth and you ought to be real slow to get mad and you ought to be real quick to open your ears and listen. When you were kids, did you hear that old saying? You've got two of these and one of these, so you should do this twice as much. So many problems in the church would be solved if people would listen to each other instead of just trying to find the next counterpoint to make and to tear each other apart. Be willing to listen. Fourth, and the final one, when you do talk, Use your words to bless, not to curse. I don't mean curse as in necessarily foul language or four-letter words. Doug said it a few weeks ago, our words create worlds. How many conflicts spin out of control because of people speaking in horrific ways about each other? Because of people tearing each other apart over a disagreement? We are called as Christians, as members of the family of God, to use our words to benefit others and to build them up, not to tear them down. In the family of God, we will have conflict. It's unavoidable. But there's a way to do it and still maintain unity. Keep Christ at the center. Remember that love is the goal. Be willing to listen and use your words to bless and build up. So the good news of the gospel is not only that we're forgiven, but it's that we are called to new life and that life is found most fully within the family of God. 
You and I are called to be a part of the greatest thing the world has ever seen, the church. And that brings a lot of responsibility. That brings a lot of expectation. That brings some baggage. And it requires work. But friend, when the church of Jesus Christ, when the family of God does what it's supposed to do, it radically changes hearts and lives and it changes the world around it. This Thanksgiving, we're going to give thanks for what we have. We're going to give thanks for our families. But let's give thanks for the family of God and the call of God to participate in it as well. Would you pray with me? God, we're grateful for your family. Jesus, we are grateful that you threw the door wide open and that you call each of us to our place in your family. May we have the courage and the grace to open our hearts, to accept the invitation, and to be part of the family of God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Podcast. To find out more about Trinity, visit us online at www.trinityreston.org.